Covered in Glory is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. Download it, must be 21 years or older. Welcome back to another edition of Covered in Glory, where I yelled so loud last week, it completely broke the mic. But what is not broken, my friend Brett, is my spirit, because the Premier League is back. I got to watch footy all weekend, and the news is flying fast and furious. There's never a dull moment. How did you enjoy the opening weekend of the Premier League season? Uh, well, I watched Wolves United to end it. So like, it's like one of those things where you have a great meal and then your dessert sucks. And all you can remember was how bad the dessert was. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, it was great. There was a lot of interesting stuff that happened. Um, some pretty decent games. And I mean, it, it's just, it's back. Like, that's all you gotta say, man. It's just back. And I can't wait to see how things unfold. Yeah, it felt warm. It felt comfortable. Felt like that nice bath that you've been waiting for all day. You slip into it, and it's just it's just the same as it always is. City is dominant. Other teams are terrible, and the games are on in the morning, which is glorious. And so I don't know. I I I didn't realize how much I missed the Premier League. I thought in watching the Women's World Cup and watching Messi in the MLS and getting to go to some of the uh, preseason action, things like that, that that would be an adequate replacement. But there's just nothing like it. There's just nothing like you know, settling into the couch at 7.30 a.m. or 10 a.m. or whatever on a Saturday morning and getting to watch the actual best players in the world really uh, apply their trade and entertain you for the next couple hours. Yeah, I mean, and there's just going to be so many fascinating storylines. I mean, we are going to hear all about it from you on one of them, uh, which is all the defensive midfielders are now on Chelsea. Um and so I think the, the fun part is, too, is like we we got a glimpse of some of these teams. But we, uh, we're not going to see the finished product. And, you know, you had kind of mentioned that last week. And so I think this year is just going to be it's going to kind of make up for last year being mostly pretty dull. Um, obviously, we had the, the title run extend further than we thought it did. But kind of everything else in the middle wasn't too great. I know you would like to forget last year um, and this year offers a bunch of promise. So I think it's going to be I think it's going to be fun to follow. Well, there you go. You know what's not dull, though, Brett? You know what's not dull is overreacting big time to just one week of action. So I sent you the question beforehand. Let's tackle it now. What is your biggest overreaction in the world of soccer since last week's show? I think your second favorite club, Manchester United, might be terrible. Oh, (laughs) I watched in its entirety because there was money involved the entirety of their match against Wolves. And if you remember, we we shouted out uh, Lopetegui, who left Wolves before they brought in Gary O'Neill, who was born as KT caretaker manager who kept them up um, like four days, I think, before the match. And Wolves bossed the pitch. Um, and, there's, and there's some clear warning signs with United that I think – you know, they overperformed last year. They're great in one goal matches. That's usually not a sustainable way to continue to win soccer matches. Obviously, I'm kidding in terms of they're terrible, um, but they definitely are not looking like a Champions League caliber club in the slightest. Um, they started Garnacho and Anthony on the wings. Uh, I've never been a huge Anthony guy. His price take suggested that when he came over from Ajax, that United was kind of getting this finished product in the the mold of 
you know, an established young superstar on the level of maybe Jaden Sancho. But the truth is, is Anthony was young, but like his numbers were okay. Like he was like a pretty good prospect that played in a, for the most dominant team in a league that's known for goal scoring being a lot easier. Um, and then Garnacho just looked completely lost. Like every decision he made in the ball with the ball uh, against Wolves was terrible. Um, Rashford is, you know, he's a good player, but in the striker role, I don't think that's where he wants to be. Uh, your boy, Mason Mount. Uh, I couldn't even know if he did anything remotely impactful because I barely saw him in open play, touch the ball. Um, and I mean, again, their system kind of relies on like Aaron Juan Basaka getting forward and making plays in the box. The goal by Varane was actually set up by Juan Basaka. And for those of you who aren't total soccer nerds, um, Aaron Juan Basaka is definitely not known for his final third prowess um, and was actually rumored to be shipped off when Ten Hag took over the job. It was just really bad. I mean, they got beat by a very mediocre Wolves team with a caretaker manager who came in four days uh, prior. And I mean, they were outplayed. And if there wasn't a weird VAR incident where Onana basically like decapitated one of their uh, backup strikers, that matches a tie. And it, it probably should have went Wolves way. Anyways, that should have been a Wolves win. Yeah, so I wasn't expecting you to say that, so I was just scrambling while you were talking and looking up some odds. Uh, let's define terrible. Let's define tam- terrible in a gambling sense. Where do you there? think that, based on one one game and one hot take that you want to throw out here, where are they going to finish on the table and let's put some money on it? Their floor has dropped all the way to probably 7th or 8th to me, and I didn't okay. think that was the case before that. Before I Plus 100 to not finish top four on Caesars right now. Top one. Plus 100. You're taking it after one game. Would you have taken it before that? Would you have taken it before that game? No, I actually kind of thought they were the favorite for the fourth spot. So, um, yeah, I mean, this, this, it was a big change. I mean, it just, the circumstances involved, they had all, they had a bunch of their new pieces in and wolves were a mess and their wolves are not very good um, to begin with. And at Old Trafford, like it, completely pushed my opinion to be like their floor is way lower than I thought it was. Okay. All right. Plus 100 and not finish top four. Brett is locking that into his year after just seeing them play wolves. I mean, I saw a lot of what you saw in that matchup and I'll talk about it a little bit more when we get, uh, get into the individual games this week. Uh, the Onata thing was crazy. I mean, he's a madman. He's a liability. So yeah, I guess that's just part of the package when he comes in. And it was it was shocking. It was just shocking how much space that Wolves had throughout the entire match. I mean, particularly Neto, like it was it was like visually confusing. Like it's like when you say Usain Bolt sprinting and you realize there's supposed to be other other humans around him, but there's nobody in the same plane. Like I have no idea why nobody was getting close to him and closing him out. And so I guess I could see see how you could react that way, particularly against a team that I gave out last week as a relegation contender. But that seems like a quick fall from grace uh, from, I think they are top four to uh, uh, give me the plus 100, no chance they're going to fall down to eighth. Yeah, I mean, look, a lot would have to probably go go wrong for them, but we did talk in week one, or I at least said in week one, I won't I want to attach you to my anchor that's going to the bottom of the ocean. Um, the United was was hugely reliant on outstanding performances from Casemiro and Rashford. And I think that really showed again. I mean, Rashford wasn't world superstar last week, and they had a bunch of trouble scoring. 
And that was kind of the case when you were portfolio betting him for about 15 <laughs> matches straight. Oh, was Rashford, Rashford was operating like a top five player in the world, right? You know? Yeah. And if he's not that player, which I'm not sure that's his sustainable peak, that's a problem for them because there's not very much good around him. Yeah. He he was he was frustratingly anonymous in that matchup for a guy that I've been touting you know since last year and that's been extraordinarily profitable for me in the gambling sense and so okay all right well it's down on wax now you can't take it back we're gonna play this back in uh, May and see where we're at uh, my my biggest overreaction should not be a surprise as a Chelsea fan I feel like I just had my first breath of free uh, free air fresh air since like we went out on our shield against Madrid defending the World Cup. The week we had both on and off the pitch, even if it was a 1-1 draw, was just so incredible. So my overreaction of the week is the Blue Dynasty is simply moving south, and London is and London is the home of the next city. Uh, Chelsea is going to win multiple Premier League titles in the next six years. We have now stacked the deck to run from uh, current. I'm not saying we'll win this year, but Pep's going to retire or Pep's going to move on to his next challenge. He'll take a year off. City will not be the same without him. And based on our off uh, off the pitch activity this week, there is nobody's better set up in the world to fill City space after Holland goes to Madrid and Pep goes down to, I don't know, some beach in Portugal to, to reset. The youth revolution that they have set up is absolutely incredible. The uh, midfield that they're about to start rolling out is like a, a soccer nerd's wet dream. I can't, I cannot believe actually that you didn't call me just begging to get Chelsea gear shipped to you immediately. Like I think <laughs> that you are going to Never. love this team and they are going to replace Everton for you before you know it. Because when you have Lavia, uh, Brighton's already have, done that, Toby. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I mean, we have Lavia, Casado, and Enzo, and that's going to be your midfield. Like it's just going to be absolutely absolutely incredible and if jackson actually uh pops the way it looks like he's capable of like i don't see what the limit is for them and not saying they're going to win it this year but they are showing such positive intent their age profile is absolutely perfect for when city declines uh when pep leaves and i think they are fully capable of ripping off three titles before 2030 yeah that is uh that's definitely that might that's going to top my overreaction um that is, I mean, it's it's interesting. They were they were the most interesting team the weekend to me, like by far. Um, you know, you you mentioned Nicholas Jackson. Um, he was really good in that match against Liverpool. I mean, really good. Um, you know, he played about sixteen hundred minutes um, with Villarreal last year. I mean, that's like no joke when you're twenty one year olds so playing in the second best league in the world. You know, he had twelve goals and he had like three or four assists. I mean. Bunch of goal involvement matches underlying numbers. Like he's he could be legit, and that's what Chelsea need, right? I mean, after you suffered through your your goal drought last year, they need one of their young attackers to pop and be a threat to score twenty goals in a season. Um, yeah. Is Jackson that guy? I don't know. If he is, it's definitely going to change their trajectory for sure. I mean, I, I just think the timeline's critical here, right? Like Arsenal's playing somewhat of the same game. City is City, and I think. 
they're they're just going to dominate as long as that current structure is in place. Maybe we'll be lucky enough to continue to see a horse race like we did last year and Liverpool push them the year before. Maybe somebody will step up to that challenge, but it always ends the same way. But eventually it will not end that way. And who's going to be well placed to uh, to fill their mantle? And it's Chelsea and Arsenal. And based on our signings this week and uh, the activity that we did in the offseason and what I saw from Poach and what I saw from the system and things like that against a good Liverpool team. I mean, they weren't they were the team that actually played somebody up to their level of everybody else in the top six in the opening weekend. And I thought they were clearly the better side. Uh, I know I have blue colored glasses, but I think the underlying stats would bear that out. And I think if you talk to Liverpool fans, they walked away frustrated while Chelsea fans walked away elated. And maybe that's set, uh, maybe that's more about the expectations entering the match, but just it was incredible. And then, like, to have us beat Liverpool twice in the boardroom in the next couple of days uh, in the signings that came over, and then you just look at the embarrassment of riches. I mean, what, what's nuts about it, uh, Brett, is Reese James is now the most senior player at Chelsea. Reese James is 23 years old and is the only player on the entire roster to make an appearance uh, wearing the royal blue before 2020. That's it. They have turned over the entire roster. And once uh, Ziek leaves and Lukaku leaves and, and Silva finally uh, retires, I don't know, 12 or 13 years from now, every single player they have that is important to them uh, is 26 or under. And most of them are 22 and under. So they are just set up perfectly to peak right when Pep uh, rides off into the sunset, right when Holland takes his $100 billion to go to Real to either play with Mbappe or be the Mbappe replacement. And I just, I couldn't be more giddy. And so I won't do this every single week, but I did suffer a lot last year, as you already pointed out. And this week, this week felt like the reward. Yeah. I mean, l- listen, there is no question there's a ton of optimism with the way that they're building this, especially because for a team to kind of rise from the ashes, what you really need for the most part. If you can't get the star players, especially because, you know, they're not in the Champions League. So that attraction isn't there for them this year. You have to hope that you sign a bunch of 22, 23 year olds and three or four of them turn into elite players about the same time. And that's how you end up peaking and stealing some titles. So they definitely have that blueprint in place. You know, I mean, soccer is crazy and random and weird. So who knows what will happen in six months, 12 months, 18 months. But they're certainly set up for a really promising future. Yeah, not having Champions League really killed our ability to sign players this year. Everybody was totally right about that. Uh, (laughs) All right. So now we got those overreactions out of the way. Let's go ahead and take a quick break, reset, and get into this week's action. Why should you bet with Caesar Sportsbook? Two words, Caesar's Rewards. Every bet brings you closer to the types of benefits only Caesars can offer. Hotel stays, VIP experiences, sports and concert tickets, and more. It's not just an app, it's an empire. You must be 21 and older and physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, or Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Utah, and other states where prohibited. No one stop before you start. If you have a gambling problem, Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Ohio, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER or Maryland, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, D.C., Nevada, Wyoming, Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9 with it. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Massachusetts, if you or a loved one is experiencing problems with gambling, please call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org for 24-7 support. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117-NEW YORK, call 877-8-HOPE-NEW-YORK or text H-O-P-E-N-Y. 
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! Splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Okay. Our first game this week involves uh, big six clubs, although we are about to talk about that. The first one is Spurs, currently ninth with one point versus United, seventh at three points and still standing despite the drive-by that Brett just put on them. This game is Saturday at 12.30 p.m. United is plus 130. Spurs are plus 180. The draw is plus 270. Caesars has United at minus half a goal at plus 125, and Spurs on the double chance at minus 160. All right, Brett, we talked about this a little bit last week, but I, I I wanted specifically to take that break, very specifically to take that break so everybody understands that what I'm about to say is absolutely not an overreaction. It has been a long time coming. I want to have a real conversation right now about whether we should still consider the Spurs a top six team and whether they should continue to take that mantle and enjoy that title and that place and prestige in the conversations in the soccer world. Because for me, for me, Brett, the top, the big six is not where they should finish on the table year every year. It's not like every single year there'll be no variation. And this should be the six clubs that that run um, from one through six at the top. It is more about economic power and ambition and a mix of results beyond those. And I absolutely cannot see it with Spurs. And uh, after the Harry Kane news, after he formally moved to Byron, which was uh, right in the middle of our show last week, it looked like it was going to happen. And now that it did, I, I don't see how this team belongs with the other five teams that we talk about week in, week out. Where is the evidence? Where is the evidence that they have the ambition, that they have the drawing power, that they have the economics? What are they going to do with this cane money? What are they going to do to reinvest? Because I watched that team that rolled out there in the first week, and I saw Ricarlison up top. I saw a washed winger. I saw Madison, and I saw some other guys who just never lived up to their promise. And tell me how this is different than Everton. Tell me how this is different than other mid-table teams that we don't talk about in the same breath as City, at the same breath as United, as the same breath as Chelsea. It does not look like they belong in that class. And as long as they're going to behave this way, and as long as they're not going to win trophies, as long as they're really not going to go after it, why should they continue to enjoy this vaunted status where they get talked about in the same breath as those other teams? I mean, I think I think they're. You're right. I, I don't think that they're there. I mean, the trophy closet would be a pretty good argument for them. Um, you know, the the pretty much the Champions League final was where they peaked. 
Um, and even that run in the kind of the dying embers of the Pochettino era uh, was a little bit lucky um, to even get to that point in general. And that was kind of the the peak of their last, I don't know, five, six years where they've kind of been considered firmly back into this top six group. Um, but I mean, look, th- this is a huge thing. It is, it is really hard, even if you're a club owned by a petrol state. <laughs> or a forward-thinking club like Brighton to replace somebody of Harry Kane's caliber. And we saw with what happened with Gareth Bale, they took a bunch of money for Gareth Bale, and it never really turned into this like-for-like replacement. Um, And if it wasn't for Kane and Son and, and those guys kind of hitting their peaks at the same time with a manager who came in with this like more aggressive system when teams were still playing more passive... Um, there, uh, there was no way that they were going to come out of the Gareth Bale hole. So this one seems more dire. It seems more serious. Um, Brighton is pretty much clearly showing that they're just doing things smarter than everybody else. And Newcastle is backed by oil money. Um, and I think those teams from this point forward should probably be considered locks to be a finish ahead of them in the table. Um, yeah, but, but Brighton, but but Brighton doesn't fit the profile, right? Like you're right, you're no. talking about results, but again, we're we're back to like attitude and perspective and the way they kind of attack things. And I, look, I I understand I'm a Chelsea fan. If you listen to the top of the show, it's very clear what team I support, and it's kind of like me sitting on uh, Logan Roy's yacht and talking about all the other boats in the harbor. But at the same time, like. We make fun of United all the time. The Paul Pogba signing was a statement. Bringing Ronaldo back was a statement. Spending $70 million on Casemiro was a statement of intent. Even when moves don't work out, at least they're going for it. At least City goes for it. At least Poole goes for it. Uh, at least Arsenal goes for it. They just spent over $100 million on Rice and a lot of money on Havertz, et cetera, and so forth. And so I just this is more an idea of clustering. Like you just want to correctly cluster the teams. I mean, Spurs still, you know, they play in the Premier League. They play in the modern day Super League. And I'm not saying they don't belong there, but if we're going to tier them based on ambition and based on power and based on how massive the club is, they simply do not belong until proven otherwise. Yeah, and I mean, look, listen, I mean, they're, they don't have the stature. Teams like Chelsea, teams like United, Real Madrid, Barcelona, they will always attract players because of their history, because of their tradition, because young soccer players have grown up watching the great Chelsea teams, watching the great United teams, watching the great Madrid teams, et cetera. Spurs don't even really have that like ability to do that in their recruitment. And so what they really needed to be in order to weather these kind of storms is a process-driven team because they weren't ever Daniel Levy's one thing that if I mean Spurs fans are gonna have their critiques of him, obviously. But his one thing was he was never gonna put the club in a financially uh compromising situation, which means spending more than you're bringing in revenue-wise just to try to land big name players. He was never going to do that. Um, and I think like that's gonna be something that you could say, well, it's made them sustainable. It's made sure that they stay solid. It, you know, they, they didn't fall down the table and go the route of Portsmouth. But it obviously clearly limited their ceiling, um, especially in their years where they were making the Champions League. They had opportunities to maybe just push the limit, try to spend that money, increase their wage structure, all those kinds of things. And they never really took that opportunity to do it. 
And so now they're in the, the midst of this massive reveal with no system in place, clearly no appeal for any players to come play for them that are established stars. It's it's just looking increasingly ugly for them. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the they have some advantages. They have some name brand recognition. They have a beautiful stadium and uh, new stadium, and they're in London. But hey, I just described West Ham with a better publicist, except for one thing. West Ham won a trophy <laughs> last year. West Ham won a trophy. So give me West Ham over Spurs in terms of who should actually belong in this conversation. And otherwise, I don't see how you separate the two. And I see very clearly how you separate the Spurs from the other five. So I'm officially announcing as far as I'm concerned, they are suspended from the big six. They are suspended pending to see how they spend this Harry Kane money and the rest of this window, maybe in January, but they just don't belong. And they can be entertaining. I mean, you called it out. Post Glue's style was like wide open, and that was a very entertaining match that they played. But it is embarrassing to compare them off the pitch to those other five clubs. And, and by the way, uh, Emerson Royale, who I think might have been one of their 10 biggest signings ever, he's at least very close in terms of value, was flat-out horrible in that game. And if he didn't score that goal, we'd have just been talking about him, him this entire time of how much he kept getting burnt down the side. Um, it really, like, I don't know, man. I don't know if I'm having uh, too big a reaction in that game, but Brentford, they won on XG. They, I know a lot of that was lifted by the penalty. And they just and Tottenham spent the whole game marking like the difficulty level was turned down in FIFA. That second goal in Brentford was just a simple pullback into an acre of space, like 12 yards out from the box and nobody closed out and the guy just finished. So while it's going to be entertaining, it's, it's embarrassing. And I know United didn't look good. If you had told me United had had two guys red carded in the first minute, and that's why the Wolves were able to boss them so much, I'd have believed it. I, I absolutely <laughs> would have believed they had two guys sent off uh, for the very first whistle. But at the same time, like, come on, in this individual matchup, no matter how much you hate United, I can't say all that and go any other way. Fade Spurs, United plus 130 is my pick. Yeah, um, no, I think that's <laughs> that's a good, way, a good way to look at it. Um, you know, we talked about this last week, too. One of the things with this system is you go from Conte, who played this conservative back three, and then you're going to this up-tempo pressing system. And as we saw with Celtic last year, uh, Pastacoglu is not going to take his foot off the brake. Like they are going to play this way, good, bad, or the otherwise. And there's going to be a pretty rough adjustment period, I think, because I don't think a lot of their players are suited for the system. Um, it's going to just be such a departure from how they played last year in general um, that we may not even see the best version of this collection of Spurs talent for three, four months. Um, and if it wasn't for the fact that I will watch United just completely crumble against Wolves, I would be all either because there's no the only way to fade both teams, Toby, is to do what I always do and take the coward's way out. Yeah. And take coward. the draw at plus 265. Because I, 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 have no I gotta tell you, I absolutely hate that pick, Brad. I'm sorry to cut you off. I absolutely hate that pick for one simple reason. In a game that's projected to be this open, the chance that it lands, you know, the, the quarter that you're flipping lands on its end is just it just seems so low to me. And when you have an over number, I don't so did you see the juice on the over number to take over two and a half is minus one seventy-five. So you're talking about any game that's expected to have three, four, or five goals ending in a draw. I just don't see the value. Yeah. I mean, look, listen, there is it's obviously very tricky to dance the fault line of taking a draw, as we've argued about week after week. Uh, but the the reason I always fall to it is that more games than you think end up being in that, whether the style of play 
is what it is what it is. It's gonna be a low scoring game or high scoring match. Um, and I mean, there's there's no evidence to me that says there's there's value on either side of that line. None of, neither of these teams show me value. And so yeah. if I think these teams are fairly evenly matched, and I think they're both clearly struggling to find something together. I just don't know where else to turn. You know what I mean? Well, break break out all your spreadsheets, do your nerd stuff, and tell me how many draws, what percentage of draws are 2-2 versus nil-nil and 1-1. Because it's got to be like, I think it's going to be shockingly low. But if it's higher than I think and more games actually do end in that 2-2 range, then I'll be I'll be shut up and you'll be justified. And I won't make fun of you for picking a defender to score for at least a week. Uh, <laughs> at least one week. <laughs> I'm doing what I do because, again, I got to stick true to myself. In a game where both defenses are so horrible, in a game where it's going to be this open and it just looks like it's going to be a track meet back and forth, give me the over on the corners, man. I know it's cliche. I know I like to scream about it and things like that. But the over 9.5 is minus 150, and I'm going to go ahead and take it up to over 10.5 at plus 105. There were 15 in that um, Wolves-United game last week, and Spurs had six of their own. And so I just think there's an excellent chance when neither Either side seems interested whatsoever in marking and controlling that there's going to be a lot of action and a lot of scrambling with the ball going over the touchline because there's just desperation defending as uh, people run up and down the pitch. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about desperation depending. Um, this is the type of match that your boy, Marcus Rashford, thrives on, right? I yep. mean, pretty, pretty much, much every time that United gets in a, a situation where they have to counterattack and Rashford has a bunch of open space, he typically produces pretty good performance. He's plus 150 as an anytime goal scorer. This seems perfectly set up for him. I'm stealing a Toby bet here, which I don't mind because Toby made a lot of money on this bet last year. I may be getting in a little bit late. I don't think the pricing at plus 150 is that great, um, but this is the exact type of match that a Rashford goal would pop up in, and he is by far the most likely United front three player to score. Couldn't agree with you more, particularly because he's going to be attacking spaces that Royale um, allegedly occupies. I don't know what he's actually doing, but that's where he's supposed to be. And I think he's going to pop in there and he's going to get a goal. I did write that one down. I'm just picking a couple of other anytime goal scorers later, and I didn't want to be repetitive. So I 100% back Brett's bet here. Uh, Let's move to the next match and a discussion about the big six again. I know we haven't talked about the big six for a while. Manchester (laughs) City third at three points versus Newcastle first at three points Saturday at 3 p.m. City is minus 155. Newcastle is plus 400. The draw is plus 290. City minus half a goal is minus 165. And Caesars has Newcastle's double chance at plus 127. So, Brett, uh, we did not get a chance to talk much about Newcastle last week. And then they went out and put up a five spot on a really overhyped Aston Villa side. Uh, They are in the Champions League this year. They went and and bought Tonali and they are on a clear upward trajectory ever since our show has started. So after I suspended Tottenham, should we just have a big five or should Newcastle officially be welcome to the big six? Brighton. Oh, sorry. It's my, it's, they don't have the ambition. Really, they, they do it's not really, have the it's really dry. I when when know, you sell Casado for $110 and you still shop in the or 110 million and you still shop in the bargain bin, you're not a massive club. 
it, they can they can finish top four. Leicester won the whole damn league. Like people can slide into the top four in results. But when we talk about the big six, it is not just results. It is also ambition and purchasing power and all the other things. So Brighton does not belong in that weight class, even when they punch above it, even if they're the best pound for pound fighter in the Premier League, they don't belong. Newcastle, I think Newcastle might. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's always going to come down. I mean, as and this is this is going to be a litmus test for for Brighton in a lot of ways. Um, they do a bunch of really interesting stuff. Uh, you talk about them shopping in the bargain bin. I mean, their strategy of essentially selling all these midfielders for huge fees and then reinvesting those fees into a bunch of young players at premium positions and then using like free chancers to bring in guys like James Milner or Dahoud, um, Mohamed Dahoud, who came over from um, Dortmund. Like that's an interesting strategy, but it always comes down to the check. I, I, maybe Brighton is the one team that's going to be so far ahead of everybody else that they're going to be able to beat the checkbook. But I do think because of, of United, Newcastle's new spending power, they need to be included in the big six. They just have too much money behind them now for their floor to be that low. It's depressing. I hate saying that, <laughs> but it's the truth. And I mean, listen, I, you know, you, you and I talked about this. I, I think when this, the deal broke and we knew the Saudis were going to take over the team, the inevitability is that it's going to be a lot of battles probably in the next five, 10 years with, a t- with teams like Newcastle and City at the top just because they have the most money behind them. And I think it, to me, it's a big six now and that, and they're the 16th. Yeah. So I will say that it's not just the checkbook because I, I understand that argument. I've made that argument. I think that argument does have power by itself, but I don't think it is the only thing that we should consider because the purchases that they're making as they get out of the bargain bin and, and they're buying are so much better than Tottenham's. Do you know, uh, it's it's okay. I have the list up. Do you know Tottenham's top three signings in club history by uh, transfer value? No. Okay. That's perfectly fine. I didn't either until I looked it up. Uh, it's Ndobele, Ricarlison, and Christian Romero. So their all-time record uh, spender like was Ndobele for $62 million post Gareth Bale. They ended up loaning him back to the same club, and he's he's you know like a Napoli bench warmer now. And that's who, they spent their, that's who they spent their money on. Then where Charleston, like, unless he suddenly becomes a 25 goal guy this year, like that's just not money well spent. Romero, Romero's better than the first two. Uh, but was he worth 50 million? I mean, we'll find out. Newcastle, their top two are uh Isak and Tonali. Their third is Gordon, and Gordon was only 40 versus Romero at 50. So at least they're getting value when they're starting to grow their purchasing power. So yes, eventually they will be making $100 million purchases. Eventually they will, you know, have a star-studded lineup like the rest of the big six, which is why they belong. But I think it's also fair to point out that the team they're replacing has pissed away their money and that uh Newcastle looks like they've done really well with Isaac with Isaac and Tonali. Yeah, I mean, Tonelli will agree to disagree there. I think he, I mean, he scored. It was a beautiful goal. Don't get me wrong. He played for a Champions League team that was in the semifinals. He's young. I just don't think it was there. I mean, Milan is is run by a pretty sharp group um, that has people like Luke Bourne behind it. And my feeling is, is when they saw the transfer fee that they were going about to get for Tonelli, they probably had Milan staffers in his apartment packing his bags for him before they even let him know what was going on. Um, but look, I mean, look, the bottom line is they've hit on they've hit on Bruno. 
I mean, that's a, a massive signing to get a midfield engine for the price that they did. Um, you know, they're they're Isaac could be a, a winger or a forward. He can play alongside Colin Wilson. He can be the sole striker. He's a young player. He had an established track record. I didn't think the Harvey Barnes signing was, you know, that great of value, but they played for they paid for a proven proven Premier League product at an okay price, I guess. And now they have some depth with guys that they can eat up minutes at that level and produce like they just are going to continue to do things like this. And they don't have to make big, splashy signings. They don't have to beat Richarlison signings or Tenge and Domele signings all the time. They just have to get guys that don't fail. And they'll the, the by the amount of spending power that they have, they'll still have a super high floor, which yeah, is why... I mean, you already threw his name out. Like Guy Maurice was their fifth largest signing ever. The fifth largest Spurs signing ever yeah. was Pedro Porro. And so like, it just <laughs> continues to show the gap in purchasing that they're doing. So, yeah. And, and I mean, and there's, and there's a clear structure. I mean, whether or not you want to talk about like Eddie, Howe leading your transfers, that's a whole different conversation, but with Spurs, it's Daniel Levy's kind of been in charge, but he's also, move to the whim of all these different managers, right? Like he's just, he, he, there's no stylistic similarities that comes in. He's buying players to fit certain systems and those managers go. It's like the exact opposite way to run a club. If Eddie Howe is going to be your guy, if he's going to be your pep, at least even though it's, he may not be the greatest transfer market guy in the world. You know, it's kind of a little bit of the David Moyes thing where you give him too much power. If you go full Howe, it's too much Howe, but at least there's a common coherent structure, right? At least there's something Eddie knows some guys that can play in a system. There's a clear chain spurs are all over the place. That's another huge difference between these two clubs and how they utilize their money. Yeah. Well, I thought that Newcastle, when they, they go out and run Villa uh, through the ringer at five, one, I thought that was a statement win. I think the statement was probably more about Aston Villa than Newcastle though. Aston Villa just looked absolutely horrible. And I think they're on our slate next week so we can dig into them more, but Newcastle could have scored 10 goals in that game. It, it wasn't that they were so amazing. I Villa was the worst team of the weekend for me. Um, and then on the other side, like Newcastle kept letting Diaby into dangerous spaces. So it's not like it was like a lockdown one goal win. Like, you know, Villa still uh, challenged them quite a bit. And Newcastle's not playing Villa this week. They are playing Manchester City, the greatest team in the world. Uh, City conceded only 0.33 XG last week against Burnley. I can't even remember what it came from. Uh, they had a like a slightly shaky, like four minute stretch that the only reason I remember it in the middle of the first half was just because how dominant they were the rest of the time that one or two chances suddenly stands out, even though they weren't good chances. Um, I think that there's absolutely no way that I'm I'm not taking them in this match. And in fact, I'm just introducing a new portfolio bet until it actually uh, fails me, which is Holland to score Manchester City to win. <laughs> Holland to score Manchester City to win. I went, I had a bad week at a five pint last week, but this was my one win. And I'm just yeah. going to keep riding it. You put those two together, it's plus 135. So that's going to have to turn into a negative number before they don't get my money at the window. Yeah, I mean, it's a great bet. I, I didn't go there. Um, I just took the city on the money line. Um, and then the other bet that was enticing to me was the under two and a half goals at plus 105. Um, last year, when these two teams played each other, obviously there's going to be some differences and changes. Um, there was only about, oh, there was less than two goals worth of chances in that match. I think it's going to be another one, another pretty cagey match between these two clubs. 
um, the reinforcements of Tonelli in the midfield and just the way that Pep is playing now. I, this is something that we'll talk about more. I don't want to get on it because we've talked about a million things. We can save this for another pod. But he switched the formation again. Kyle Walker's in there and a straight back four. It's a little more conservative. Kovacic is going to help more with the possession stuff and circulating the ball. I don't think that they're going to be and have that De Bruyne. I mean, you, you, we were texting about this off air when we were talking about this. Like, Koba isn't De Bruyne in the sense that he can break games open with one pass and create huge chances for Holland. City aren't going to have that anymore. Um, yeah. And so I think that's going to limit. I mean, I think they're going to kind of get their chances through attrition instead of through these ins- inspirational passes by De Bruyne. So I think this is going to be a low-scoring match. I think it's going to be relatively ugly. I could see 0-0. I could see 1-1, 2-0 City, things like that. So I like that under getting plus money. Yeah, I mean, if you really are just like City's a juggernaut and you want to just keep it rolling, uh, I, I kind of like, you know, uh, playing a little bit of a wheel here because two other lines, Manchester City over one and a half and just the straight up money line. You could you can take what I did, uh, City to win and Holland to score plus 135. You can take City over one and a half and to win at minus 110. And you can take City over one and a half and Holland scores at plus 120. And so those three things are, are I just like betting uh, because history backs me up on it. And you can combine them in any way you want and get a really decent number. So let's go ahead and take our last break. Now that we have the big six sorted forever and nobody else ever has to discuss it again, we've closed <laughs> the topic for the entire world. Uh, we will rip through our last three matches. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at Shopify.com/network. All lowercase. Go to Shopify.com/network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify.com/network. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Okay, we are back and we are heading over to Liverpool. 12th at one point versus Bournemouth. 10th at one point. Saturday at 10 a.m. Pool is minus 460. Bournemouth is plus 1100. The draw is plus 525. Caesars has pool minus a goal and a half at minus 160 and Bournemouth at plus 125. So last week, Bournemouth drew with West Ham one to one. And I actually thought they looked like the better side, Brett. 
Uh, meanwhile, Liverpool simply could not win the ball back from Chelsea. And I think that Liverpool have some bad vibes floating around them right now with Klopp unable to stop talking about the transfer market, the board unable to deliver him targets that he's satisfied with, and Salah having that really weird, like bizarre storming off the field, tearing the tape off his fingers one by one by one with anger and throwing them down to the ground. It actually looked like something that belonged on I think you should leave sketch. I think Dan Flashes should actually start to design their kits. Uh, I think that would be amazing and would fit right on to Salah based on his behavior. And so if I'm picking out those vibes and I'm seeing that, it's not like I'm going to do anything crazy like taking Bournemouth out right here. I'm not you. Uh, but there's no <laughs> way I'm going to lay a fat, a fat minus 160 for pool to win by multiple goals until I actually see them pull it together. Yeah, uh, I think you're 100% right. Uh, the Michael Edwards era is clearly officially over in Liverpool, and we're seeing it right now. Um, we have pretty much never seen Liverpool panic by during the Edwards era. And just uh, just this morning, or maybe it was late last night, um, they went and nabbed a 30-year-old defensive midfielder from 16th place Stuttgart, um, Waturo Endo. And he not only doesn't exactly fit ex what they need, um, but it's clearly a purchase that is motivated in the we just need to do something vein. Um, and that is is, signaling... is that official? Because could Chelsea still come in and hijack it? Could Chelsea turn I, I, his head? I mean, we don't know at this point. Chelsea could hijack me being on the show. Like, like Enzo Fernandez. Yeah, Enzo Fernandez could be finishing this podcast with you at some point. I, I'm if, not if, sure. you th if you think for one hot second... That if Enzo popped up on the Zoom right now, I wouldn't kick you off. You are wildly <laughs> mistaken. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even be mad about that. I would sign off. I'd be like, "Hey, Eddie, I'm out. I gotta go." Um, <laughs> but no, I, I think this is this is kind of an interesting. Um, it's the end of the the Liverpool Moneyball era. Essentially, is what I'm getting at. And and they have a huge flaw in their in their system. Klopp is an ideologue. He is going to play his heavy metal four three three. He is going to press. He sort of tweaked it a little bit with the Trent Alexander-Arnold move where he kind of drifts inside during the match. Um, but then we opened up this this first week with Alexis McAllister, who was playing near the goal as like a uh, an eight for Brighton as their six. Yeah, that's um, crazy. Yeah, and so the Bournemouth at plus one and a half at plus 130. Um, I'm really interested in Bournemouth this year. I, I know it's crazy. Those are weird words to say. Um, I would say, and you can back me up on this, but a hundred percent of the time that an English caretaker manager has a, a nice stretch that keeps the team up, uh, he keeps his job and Bournemouth let go of Gary O'Neill. Um, and they hired Antoni Iriola, who basically comes from Rio Valcano and Rio is an interesting club. They're kind of like the, the ugly stepsister, I guess, of, uh, Madrid, yeah, uh, they're they're an interesting club. If you ever have a chance, you definitely read the history of Rio. Um, but they have like no budget, and they finished eleventh last year in La Liga. Um, that was all Iriona. He's Iriola. He's got some very interesting ideas with his pressing, and it's just an interesting move by Bournemouth. Like they clearly saw a manager outperforming his resources. They could have very very easily justified or been justified sticking with the status quo, keeping Gary O'Neill around, but they saw an opportunity for change and something better. I think this guy has a chance to be a pretty good manager. We don't know. It's the premier league. It's the super league. It's a big step up from La Liga and Rio, um, but they're interesting to me this year. And David Brooks is back, uh, which is a really cool story. 
I mean, the guy had leukemia. He was a really promising prospect. I think even like two or three years ago, he was ironically on Liverpool's radar. Um, and then he obviously had the illness. He's come back. He was really lively in the first match to kind of get like a really promising young attacker back in your setup without spending money for a team like Bournemouth is a massive boost. Um, so I think they're more competent than we we might have seen last year. Um, and again, a lot of it is just Liverpool didn't look good. Chelsea was the better team for 60 minutes, the last 60 minutes of that match. And Liverpool has a gaping flaw in their setup. So no way, shape or form, am I taking them to cover over two goals. Cool. Uh, the one guy I did like, well, actually, Sobislav was was good. McAllister, I mean, despite being widely outcast, did uh, play a super ball up to Salah for their one goal. He, he put in a workman shift in a job he absolutely shouldn't be doing. I, I can't believe that they paid that money and then put him in that role. Uh, so I think the signings they made, you know, showed promise and didn't show like service lives going to need a ton of time to embed, but they need three or four more signings and their board just doesn't seem capable of getting it done. But they did get a boost from uh, not a new signing, but a face that's so welcome to see again, which is Luis Diaz. He scored in the opening yeah. match. He is an absolute dog. Uh, despite playing for, you know, Liverpool, he's just one of those guys like Kevin De Bruyne and a bunch of others that I just love watching week in, week out. And Caesars is boosting him this week. So if you go to Caesars, uh, Diaz is the first goal scorer, is up to plus 600. And that's going to be my prop for this game. Yeah. And mine is going to be a portfolio bet that continues to not work. Toby's Toby's portfolio bets are good bets. Mine uh, just bet against him. Uh, but I'm going to go with the Liverpool um, come from behind to win or draw um, at plus 380. So I like the draw. number. I like we, the, you added the draw. I like that. Part. I did. That's a good bet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, mostly because I have zero faith in them. Um, but no, we've talked about this before. I think with the way they're going to try to play, unless a miracle happens or Klopp suddenly becomes a pragmatist, they are going to be in some, for some pretty wild matches. And I mean, we'll see how this plays out over the, over the first, you know, five, six matches. Um, but I, I think this is going to be fairly common every time we talk about Liverpool that I'm going to be taking one of those bets. Yeah, I, 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 I like it. So you can call it a Toby portfolio, but right, we're just going to call I, it a Toby portfolio it to trick the universe into making it. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I hope the universe has not tricked me into falling in love with Chelsea. We are going to take on West Ham this week, who is 13th at one point. Chelsea's 11th with one point. This game is Sunday at 1130 a.m. Chelsea is minus 110. West Ham is plus 300. The draw is plus 250. Chelsea minus half a goal is minus 110. West Ham is minus 120. So come on, Brett. I had as much fun as one could have at the top of the show while still keeping their clothes on. And you can't see the bottom half of me right now. So don't assume uh, that all the clothes are still on. Uh, I can't believe I only get to watch one game a week. Like, I can't believe this is how the other half lives. I want to watch them every single day of my life right now because the vibes are so good. Uh, and the vibes are primarily so good because of Enzo Fernandez. Enzo Fernandez in that game against Liverpool looked like he is not only could be in the team of the season this year, particularly with KDB being out. He looks like he could be the player of the year in the best uh, league of the year sometime in the very near future. He was dominant. He's still only 22 and he is about to be absolutely unleashed with the Lavia and Casado acquisitions. They role that they've had him play, like, you know, playing a little bit closer to a six on 
Although who the hell knows where Lampard had him last year? I don't even feel like Lampard knows the number system. <laughs> um, being able to allow him to move forward and to show that creativity that he was demonstrating against Liverpool when he was just kind of keeping the ball away from them and and making uh, super penetrating passes over and over again is just going to be a joy to watch. I don't know if he's going to be KDB, but I am anxious to find out. And Casado is going to allow him the freedom to express himself in that manner. So not only am I obviously taking Chelsea minus 110, give me Enzo goal scorer plus 750, Brett. He's plus 750 for a guy who might start be playing as an eight and being their main attacker within uh, moving into the box and give it to me double because with the Reese James industry, uh, injury this week and the swagger that Enzo has, I think he's going to be their penalty taker. I think if they point to the spot, Enzo is going to grab the ball and he is to be the one who's going to put the team on his shoulders unless Jackson is absolutely popping off in training. So if you can get any guy who plays on a team with this much attacking firepower, who's their penalty taker for an any type goal scorer at plus 750, forget the name on the jersey. You should take that bet every time. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to a bunch of angry text messages when Connor Gallagher steps up to take that penalty for you. Um, Cardio G, baby. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, listen, uh, I, I'm I'm still a little um, hesitant, skeptical of what Chelsea's attack is going to look like. Um, I saw Tactics Twitter going nuts with like Christine Raheem Sterling's performance against Liverpool, and he did some good things, but he also, I don't think, had a single shot. Um, yeah. And they made it seem like he was completely dominating the match. Uh, and at this point, with the injuries to Nkaku and with just Mudrick not coming through how they wanted to, there isn't that other figure that really makes me think this is an, an offensive. It's Enzo. I'm telling you, it's going to be, it's going to be Enzo apparently yes. to Toby. So um, no, and, and then we're obviously I'm, I'm on the Enzo bandwagon as well. We were driving that during the world cup. He's, he's I think with the people like Caicedo and Lavia in the lineup next to him, he will actually start playing that six, eight role that he was playing for Argentina a lot more. Um, but I, for me, the Chelsea win at minus minus one ten was the bet. Uh, but I'm really interested in the defensive potential of this team. They have a bunch of young, energetic pressers. They have good athletes all over the pitch. Their their midfield is just going to be a wall, um, especially in the matches where it's Enzo, Lavia, and Caicedo all together in the same midfield. If that is even supported by a back three, like, good luck getting a good shot attempt at that yeah. point. Uh, and not just so any the, back C. I mean, can you imagine those three, like outside of Real Madrid, who has anything even close to that in terms of a well-rounded defensive presence and being press resistant? And they have Tiago Silva standing behind them. Like, yeah. I know they have Sanchez in the goal, but the goalkeeper doesn't matter if nobody can ever get a shot off. Exactly. I mean, that's the thing is they, they're going to do such a good job, I think, of suppressing shots and making shots come from such low value areas of the pitch. We could be looking at one of the better defensive teams in the Premier League over the last 10 years, um, kind of a redux of the two goal thing. But I think that, and with that in mind, I think the bet for my prop is not necessarily a Chelsea clean sheet win, but just a plus 155 for the Chelsea clean sheet. Um, yeah. West Ham is a very tired old squad. Um, we talked about this last week, I think a little bit. Um, Paqueta is the only guy like under 25 that's actually like going to get decent amount of minutes. Uh, Jared Bowen is who kind of regressed a little bit over the last year um, is sneakily older than you think uh, Antonio, who was there kind of the face of their revival under Moyes uh, is now, I think 32 or 33. It's just not looking pretty as far as their attack is concerned. 
Um, so I think with Chelsea's newfound defensive prowess uh, and the and just the fact that their midfield could just be world destroyers, uh, plus 155 for a clean sheet against West Ham just seemed like a really juicy number. Brett, I absolutely love that bet. I, I was scrambling the whole time you were talking to find out if that number could actually be right. Uh, but you are spot on. In fact, I would take uh, I would tell the world to combine our two bets. Chelsea clean sheet win is all the way up to plus 230. So let's shake hands across the aisle. Let's do that meme where two arms are big and muscular and gripping each other and agreeing on something. And Chelsea clean sheet win versus uh, West Ham in this match. Take the plus 230. That um, that might go on my five pint, even though I didn't even think about it beforehand. Will you be mad? Never, never, Toby. I need to see you have generational wealth off this bet. That's what I want from it. <laughs> Cool. All right. Well, we got one more match to generate some generational wealth, and it is Crystal Palace, fifth at three points, versus Arsenal, third at three points. This game is Monday at 3 p.m. Arsenal is minus 180. Palace is plus 525. Draw is plus 285. Arsenal minus half a goal is minus 180, and Caesars has Palace at plus 140. Uh, so, Brett, Palace is riding high right now. They just got an opening win, and they saved Olise, their, one of their star players, by doubling his wages and fighting off Chelsea, uh, something Liverpool could not do, but Crystal Palace can do, so well done by them. Uh, they also put up 24 shots against Sheffield last week, and they were just bombarding the goal. Meanwhile, Arsenal... I thought they struggled more than I expected in that match. And the reason they won were just two moments of absolute sublime brilliance from two of the mm-hmm. best young attackers in the world. That Martinelli like blind spin pass into space that created the goal for Enkedia was easily my favorite moment of the weekend. I cannot believe how smooth and silky that was. And whether it was intentional or not, I believe I choose to believe it was because I jumped off my couch. I was so excited. And obviously, Saka being able to under pressure whip that ball into the far. Yeah, that was impressive um too. that was those are my probably my favorite two goals of the weekend they both happened for arsenal but outside of those those are just moments of brilliance by the team so outside of that i didn't think they were as good as i was expecting um and usually brett if we were uh, taping this two years ago on the second week of the year i would absolutely get suckered in here by what i saw on the opening weekend and take palace but i've matured i'm proud to say i think i've matured a little bit as a soccer analyst and as a better so i didn't see enough in either team to sway me off of my preseason opinion of them it's not like arsenal was that bad or palace was that good and i will say declan rice looks like he was born to wear that jersey it looks like he's been on arsenal for 10 years in his very first match and i liked his involvement going forward i thought he was good on both ends of the pitch i'm not sure he's going to be worth 100 million but maybe casado's not going to be worth 110 i've already slobbered over that signing enough so i can't throwing stones quite yet uh so i'm going to go ahead and stick to my preseason evaluation stick with arsenal here minus half a goal at minus 180 and also to win to nil at plus 130 yeah i mean uh, roy hodgson man just roy hodgson just coming back he's just he's never gonna go away we're always gonna have roy hodgson here um i was pretty impressed with palace i mean they took care of business Obviously, quality of the opponent matters when you're playing a team that just as recently promoted. Not going to really be something you write home about and pat yourself on the background uh, when you beat them. But, you know, Palace is, is solid, and they're going to be super solid defensively. We know how Roy Hodgson's going to play. He's going to set them up at 4-5-1. He's going to play very conservative. 
And they've got some personnel now where they're going to be really feisty. I mean, talk about people that are never going to go away. Jordan Ayu is starting as that defensive winger. Um, Chick Decore, that the young midfielder signing from last year, who I think now is rumored to be on Liverpool's radar because, of course, he is, um, is a really, really good ball winner. Uh, they signed Jefferson Lerma from Bournemouth, who's kind of in that same, like, more industrious box-to-box type player role. They're just going to be tough to break down. Like, this is going to be a side that's going to be really tough to break down. And Arsenal, outside of two moments of magic, didn't do that to Nottingham Forest. And we talked a lot last year about how terrible Nottingham Forest was defensively. And Arsenal really struggled. Um, I think it's going to be more of the same against Palace. So I'm actually taking the half a point and plus 150. With Palace, right. I, I I think this is I think they got a chance. Um, I I wasn't impressed with Arsenal. Uh, they have been Palace has been really good. Not even just in their first match since Roy Hodgson came back, they have been very good and solid defensively. Like they're a team that if they finished eighth or ninth this season, I wouldn't really be that shocked. Um, obviously the transfer window is going to matter some if if Decore leaves, but getting Olise back is huge. Him and Eze have been really bright sparks and kind of the more defensive setup. Um, and again, I'm going to hit another under bet. So under minus two and a half goals or I'm uh, sorry, under two and a half goals at minus minus one twenty is the bet. The juice isn't great, but again, Arsenal struggling to create against forest. Now they're yeah. stepping up a little bit against a pretty good defensive team. I don't really see where the goals are going to come from. So well, I'm excited to get more data on them. I mean, Alonga made that incredible run in the 80th minute or 82nd minute. But one reason it stood out so much is they didn't really have another opportunity for the 70 minutes uh, prior to that. So There's just a couple at the beginning of the match and then Arsenal shut them down. So let's see. Let's see. Let's see if they can do it. It gets a little more exciting uh, Crystal Palace squad. That's obviously a little bit above force in terms of their level. So let's wrap the show up, Brett, with our five pint. It was a slow start for your boys last week. Uh, I am at 2.8 pints. Brett's at 3.1. But, you know, it's one data point. We got a long season to go. My five pints for this week is going to start with Manchester United to win at plus 130 because fade Spurs continues to be the unofficial motto of the podcast. Of course, I'm taking Chelsea to win minus 110. Portfolio bet of Manchester City to win and Holland to score at plus 135. Spurs United over 10.5 corners at plus 105. And I'm doing it, Brett. It's not something I usually do. I usually keep my bets somewhere between like minus 150 and up to like plus 200. But give me Enzo Fernandez. Anytime goal score. Plus 750. I'm taking my shot. I love those juicy numbers in front of him. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And go Connor Gallagher taking penalties. Let's go. Um, I love that. That's great. Gets me excited and makes my picks feel a little bland and boring. But we're going to roll with it. I need a bounce back week. So I'm taking the uh, Bournemouth at plus one and a half for plus 130 for a pint. Uh, of course, Rashford to score in a game that's well suited for that at one pint. Uh, I am taking the under of City and Newcastle two and a half goals at plus 105 for a pint. And then, of course, the big one that we all love that that you were thinking that you were going to build generational wealth on Chelsea, just the clean sheet. Just a zero in front of West Ham scoreline uh, for two pints at plus one twenty five. No way they end the week of great vibes with a zero zero game. Come on, Chelsea, up you Blues! You got to put one in the net to seal this week off. 
Uh, all right. Well, we are sealing our own week off here on Covered in Glory, but we are excited for match day two, and we will be back next week to talk about it with our usual interchange of horrible advice backed by expert analysis. See you next week, everyone. Take care, guys.